Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 10, verses 3 through 16. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them. But the discipline scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, Allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them. Because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children, I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Blessed them. Blessed them. The word of God for the people of God. Hello, I'm Robert Schnazy, Bishop of the Rio, Texas Conference, and I, uh, it's a privilege to be invited to, to preach at University United Methodist Church in Austin. I have so many personal associations. Uh, that's the church I attended when I was a student at the University of Texas and where my uh, wife-to-be attended, and we were married in Harris Chapel uh, at the church, as were Esther's parents. So we have deep roots and connections in University Church. And one of our sons sang in the, in the choir on Sunday mornings for several years. And uh, I just have such respect for your ministry. I was uh, thrilled when Teresa invited me to preach. And so I'm going to be preaching in person at the 11 o'clock service in the sanctuary. But, uh, but also, I understand that there was this, uh, this online opportunity. And um, so we're going to do something a little different. Um, Teresa has... Uh, is going to uh, show basically the uh, a video of my uh, presentation that I'm going to be doing in person, and so I I hope it has uh, I hope it's able to reach you and that you're able to uh, to give this some focus and just open your hearts and minds as we prepare for uh, for hearing this word in this way. God bless you. Days to come. The Rio Grande Valley and all along the South Texas border is. Uh, border with Mexico is a, is a unique place. It's a blending of cultures and of languages, and it's rich. Uh, I was born about 400 yards from the Rio Grande River in, in Eagle Pass and grew up in Del Rio, and then uh, spent 21 years in ministry down here in the Rio Grande Valley. And so it's been a joy to come back to this area, you know, a few years ago to, uh, to serve as bishop of this area. And uh, now that I'm serving as bishop also of the New Mexico Conference, there's actually 1,422 miles of border with Mexico that is in, under, the, uh, under the conferences that, uh, that I serve, that, uh, that is in the conferences that I serve. So, um, so it uh, offers wonderful opportunities for ministry. I have, uh, over the last several years, been uh, writing stories about experiences along the border. And um, issue, stories sometimes that, uh, you know, kind of cause you experiences that cause you to change your mind or to open your heart in a little different way. And uh, I'm going to, as a sermon today, uh, read one of those stories. It's entitled The Baptism. And the events in this story took place um, close to 30 years ago, maybe a little more than 30 years ago when I was in my first uh, couple of years of ministry in uh, McAllen, Texas at First United Methodist Church. So, uh, 
So let's open our hearts and minds to this story, the baptism. Let me make sure I've got... Are we doing okay with the microphones? Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. The baptism. The jingling of the bell that hangs from the door alerts me that someone has entered the front office. The visitor's voice is too soft for me to understand, but there's no mistaking the secretary's quick response. I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. I rise from my desk chair and move uh, through the doorway of my office into the reception area. A petite young woman in casual jeans and wearing a colorful blouse turns to leave. I ask her how we might be of help. Senorita, ¿puedo ayudarle en algo? She pauses as if giving us a second chance. Unknown visitors are common to us. Most speak only Spanish and many are women seeking counsel, asking for prayers or needing money for rent. Some are fleeing a boyfriend after a night of abusive rage. Many find themselves in crises without, in crisis with no pathways forward and no numbers to call, seeking help from strangers who speak a language they have not yet learned. This visitor is different from most, no, old, older, no older than 19 by my estimation. She seems shy, but naturally confident. She has not anticipated that stepping into a church in downtown McAllen, Texas, a few miles from the border with Mexico, might require navigating the language divide or engaging with Anglos sitting behind desks in offices. She smiles at my accented Spanish, but still seems uncertain about whether to stay. I would like to speak to the priests, she says. I, uh, I introduce myself as the pastor, <laughs> telling her that this is a Methodist church with pastors instead of priests, and I apologize for my imperfect Spanish, and with a motion of the hand, I gesture that she's welcome to come in. She steps into my office. She sits with her handbag in her lap. Her straight black hair falls to her shoulders unrestrained. She seems tentative and an uneasiness that is more than timidity, a discomfort perhaps because of the differences in language, culture, gender. Her eyes search the room, darting from diplomas on the wall to photos on the cabinets to papers on my desk as if trying to discern whether this is a trustworthy place. Her clothing and jewelry are fashionable yet simple, her makeup subtle, giving her a pleasant and professional appearance, not unlike hundreds of young women who work as sales clerks, cashiers, and food servers within a half mile of the church. I leave the door to my office half open and we exchange names. Hers is Leticia. Do you baptize babies? Leticia asks in Spanish. Never has a stranger stepped in to, off the street to my office uh, to, to ask this, and I think my look betrays my surprise, and so she edges forward in her seat and rewords re her request. I want my baby baptized. Is that something you can do? Her leaning forward adds an intensity to her words. Since Leticia has asked for a priest, I felt compelled to clarify again that this is not a Catholic church and I am not a Catholic priest. I'm the pastor of a Methodist church. She asked me to explain the difference. 
I struggle with how to distill centuries of historical and theological distinctions into a few sentences and further how to translate into a, that into a Spanish that is marginally comprehensible. She seems distracted by my theological and linguistic acrobatics and maybe annoyed as if my concerns are irrelevant self-indulgences that delay us from getting to the matter at hand. Distinctions between Catholics and Methodists do not count much for Leticia. Tell me about your baby, I say to get us back on, trap, uh, back on track. She tells me about her six-week-old daughter, Esperanza. I ask the, usual, ask the usual questions. What prompts her to want Esperanza baptized? Does she belong to a community of faith, a church? Her answers are watery thin, no more so, I'm ashamed to say, than the responses I receive from many of my own members, which frequently run along the lines of, we want our baby baptized because the grandparents expect it and they're gonna be in town next week. I ask her why she wants Esperanza baptized in this church. She tells me how she's taken the bus from Westlaco, another border community 20 miles down the road, to go shopping in McAllen. When she saw the church, she felt she needed to ask a priest to baptize her baby. Her voice breaks and her eyes moisten as she speaks about her desire to have Esperanza baptized. Besides, she adds, this church is beautiful. It seems right. Again, I wonder if she's clear about this not being a Catholic church and question whether my language skills have sufficiently covered the point, but I don't want to follow that convoluted path again. Our church is a historic Romanesque structure built with early Texas mission motifs, including red Spanish tile roofs and stonework arches replicated in doorways and that run along uh, covered walkways. Ancient ivy crawls up the brickwork, giving us a cloistered appearance. Countless travelers, transients, and visitors step into our sanctuary, assuming that they're entering a Catholic church. As best we can across the language barriers, I answer her questions and she responds to my inquiries about her faith, her reasons for wanting Esperanza baptized, and her understanding of the sacrament. So will you baptize my daughter? Well, not so fast, not so simple. Most baptisms are performed for infants born into the families of the congregation and after counsel with the parents. Baptism is generally not a private ceremony, but a public celebration. It involves commitments from the parents and it binds members of the church to a host of ongoing responsibilities to help the child grow in grace and in the knowledge and love of God. Baptisms for walk-ins is not the norm. On the other hand, I've made plenty of exceptions. The infant in the hospital whom I baptized moments before she died, the inmate in the county jail who'd never been to church, the woman who lived in an abandoned boxcar in Mexico who asked to be baptized while a few of us were delivering food. Decades before, during that tender time when my own parents were exploring whether to join the Methodist Church in Texas, deviating from their German Lutheran heritage, they phoned an unknown Methodist pastor in Nebraska. They had never visited his church, but, uh, but they asked if he would baptize my baby sister, 
so that nearby relatives could be present. The Methodist pastor graciously agreed. What would have happened if that pastor had said no? Would my parents have turned away from the Methodist church? I prefer to err on the side of grace. After all, that's what the sacrament is about. I've turned down requests to perform weddings because I believe the marriage was ill-advised. With funerals, my policy is to accommodate whenever possible unless I encounter a bizarre request from someone wanting to be buried with their Ford Mustang or, or have her ashes scattered across the casino floor. I say yes to baptisms because the efficacy of the sacrament does not rest with the level of understanding or the purity of motivation of the parents or with their ability to articulate the meaning of the event. I counsel parents as best I can, but I trust that God will be active even if the baby is completely passive, totally asleep, or screaming like a banshee. God's grace is present even if the parent's greatest concern is whether the photographs will do justice to the needlework in the baptismal gown. Who else will you invite to the baptism, I asked Leticia. Grandparents, relatives? She tells me it will just be her and Esperanza and the priest, of course. I think to myself, no family gatherings of cousins and aunts and uncles. The simplicity contrasts with the practice among many Hispanic families of throwing elaborate celebrations for baptisms, complete with ancestral baptismal gowns, embossed invitaciones, not unlike those for weddings, and recuerdos or mementos for the relatives. The earnestness of Leticia's request nudges me toward performing the, wed- the, the baptism, even though I wonder what uh, family circumstances makes her forego inviting relatives or even the baby's father. I'm ready to walk through the vows I will ask her to take at the service and, I, and to set a time for the baptism, perhaps with a few church staff members present, and then I'll baptize Esperanza. When you baptize a baby, do you give a certificate, she asks. Como? (laughs) I say instinctively, excuse me, what did you say? I need her to repeat that question. She proceeds to describe a baptismal certificate, a document that has the baby's name, date and place of birth, along with the parent's name and the date and place of the baptism. Will she receive one if I baptize her daughter? She knows what she's asking for. Alarms begin to blare with, when I grasp what she's asking. Something within me withers. She entered my office wondering whether she could trust me. Now I find myself questioning whether I can trust her. Along the border, few things are more important than papeles, papers, documentos, legal documents. Do you have your papers? Tell him that he needs to bring his papers with him. When will, her fi- when will she finally receive her papers? Few things are more frightening than being caught sin papeles without papers, even though tens of thousands of people live and work without having them in order. Papeles refers to documents that give legitimacy to one's citizenship or to one's ability to work or to travel or merely be present in the country. Papers are green cards, passports, entry visas, birth certificates, work permits, social security cards, 
travel documents, embassy letters, consulate receipts, tax records, pay stubs, utility bills, vehicle registrations, military discharges, driver's licenses. Papers come with signatures of authorities, official stamps, embossed seals, government watermarks, laminated cards, photos of faces. No border is complete without protocols related to papers. Papers grant rights, privileges, status, standing, security, future, or they deny these things. Without papeles, people live in fear, go underground, become vulnerable to threat and to abuse. With papers, doors open. The future is unlimited. Immigration issues are the waters through which people swim daily along the border. Immigration is not abstract principles or distant politics, rather it's, it's about where you work, who you work for, who works for you. Whether your children attend school or your grandmother goes to the hospital, immigration status determines if you find employment, live in decent housing, drive a car, or feel secure reporting a crime. Doctors, lawyers, accountants, technicians, students, day laborers, maids, farm workers, cooks, cashiers, all rely upon papers to live and work in the United States. Papers matter. Where babies are born makes all the difference for the rest of their lives. Yes, we give a baptismal certificate to parents when we baptize babies, I answer. But I'm thinking, is the baptism a ruse, a way of getting me to sign a certificate that says that her Esperanza was born in the United States? A record of baptism that indicates a person was born in the U.S. is one way of proving citizenship in the absence of a birth certificate. Baptismal certificates from churches are not as significant as birth certificates from hospitals, but for people with few threads to connect, of connection, they are better than nothing. I imagine a neighbor suggesting to Leticia that she ask a priest to baptize Esperanza so she gets a certificate that says that she was born in Texas. Where was your, bo- where was your daughter born, I ask, before I think through whether I really want to hear her answer. She was born in Weslaco, she answers, at home. Her eyes dart away from mine, her breathing quickens, her confidence is gone. Leticia's anxiety is now palpable. We are both uncomfortable with the direction the conversation is taking. When do you want to have your baby baptized, I ask, and she tells me she could bring Esperanza the next day. The moment of decision has come. Will I baptize Esperanza or not? But I want to mull it over. I want to pray this through. I want to talk to someone about what I should do. I want more information. I need time. I feel unprepared and barely competent for understanding the dynamics of the conversation. My mind reels through the possibilities. What is at stake for me? for my reputation, for the church, if she draws me into an attempt to legitimize citizenship. What began as a pastoral request now seems fraught with moral implications and legal consequences. 
Every pastoral intuition tells me to baptize Esperanza. Another part of my brain pushes back. The suspicious, fearful, cautious side. I need a pause to regather. I want help. I want to think about your request for a few minutes, I say awkwardly, the words sounding disingenuous even to me. I ask if she would please wait in the reception area for a few minutes, never thinking about how she might perceive this. I didn't know what else to do. She senses that my confidence has lapsed. Some dynamic between us changes that the differences in language and culture make difficult to understand or articulate. Something is now at risk for both of us that had not been there before. She shakes her head slightly as if unconsciously needing to communicate her anxiety about what might follow. And she stands to leave for the waiting area. The, light, the bright, lively eyes that had communicated purpose are now overshadowed with a sad contemplative air and a vulnerability. As soon as Leticia steps out, I close the door and reach for the phone. I call a lawyer, a friend of mine, a close friend and confident, confidant who frequently offers informal counsel about, uh, on, on perplexing situations. When he picks up, I replay the conversation and questions pour forth. Should I ask to see a birth certificate before putting the baby's place of birth on the baptismal certificate? What if Esperanza is actually born in Mexico rather than in Westlaco, as Leticia says? Should I require proof of Leticia's legal residency? Would it make a difference if, her if the baby's father was a citizen? If she's here illegally, am I breaking the law, aiding and abetting some kind of fraud? I don't even know what abetting means. <laughs> but I've heard it on television so many times it just flows smoothly off my tongue. After my run of questions, there's silence. My friend sighs. Robert, you are not the Border Patrol. You are not an immigration official. You are not her employer. You are a United Methodist pastor, period. Have you ever required, have you ever required other parents to show you the birth certificates of their children before you baptize them? Of course not. Talk to her about baptism, ask the questions that you usually ask parents, and then you decide whether you're gonna baptize Esperanza. My, fa my face just kind of burns with embarrassment. I mean, <laughs> what he says is so obvious. Why hadn't I seen it, you know? After we hang up, I stare at the handset and stunned by the utter simplicity of his advice. I'm so relieved about the way this is unfolding that I smile and jump up from my chair to invite Leticia into my office to confirm the details of Esperanza's baptism. Leticia is gone. The reception area is empty. She sat down for no more than a minute and then left without saying a word, the secretary reports. Whatever anxieties my questions stirred up were no doubt amplified by my inviting her to step out uh, inviting her to step out while I closed my office door. She likely feared I was calling authorities to report her for something. I rushed to the street and looked down the sidewalk knowing it's too late. I will never see Leticia again. Like a magnet set beside the compass, 
Papers and politics pulled me off course, distorted my calling, confused my sense of direction. I mishandled the whole situation. I feel alone and regretful, thinking, God, what did I just do? Fear kept me from crossing a border. A lesser version of myself won out. Leticia remains in my mind until today. She seems present at each baptism I perform. She shapes every conversation I have about the sacrament. I hope that Esperanza was baptized by someone less paralyzed by peripheral issues than me. Those borders we regret that we did not cross remain with us forever. The most significant baptism in my ministry is one I never performed. What is Leticia looking for when she walks through our door? Whether she's focused on the sacrament or grasping for a thread of hope that perhaps a priest's signature might crack open a door to citizenship, she yearns for the well-being of her baby. What would you do for the good of your children? Joseph and Mary took their baby Jesus to a foreign land to avoid an emperor's capricious and deadly edict crossing borders along the way. Would you and I ever do the same? Would we fudge on documents? These are borderline issues. Explicitly or unconsciously, baptism expresses hope for the future well-being of the baby. The, the uh, baptism highlights the gift-like quality of God's grace, a, a love that is not earned or achieved. Nothing you have makes any difference, not even a birth certificate. My own father altered the date of birth on his baptismal certificate in order to enlist in the Marine Corps underage to escape a difficult home situation. When he became a federal law enforcement officer, he corrected the birth date on all the records. Now we tell this story to next generations with pride for my dad's audacity and courage for his service to the country, for the decision that changed everything else about who we were and where we would live and what our future would look like. After looking for Leticia, I returned to my office and closed the door, contemplating the many and varied worlds that exist, that coexist along a border. I have a car and a garage to park it in, insurance for health and life, a sufficient income and nice home, social security and benefits, access to doctors and lawyers, and education is reflected in the diplomas on the wall, a, a family is seen in the photos on the cabinet, a job is evidenced by the papers on the desk. How different Leticia's world is from mine. The borders that separate us incalculable in number, immeasurable in impact. We live unaware of how others experience the world when they are not in our lives. We have no interaction until cultures clash, an immigrant mom steps into a middle-class church, a white officer encounters a black teenager. Suddenly, the vast chasms in experience and perception are thrust into view, and we glimpse the genuine, raw, vulnerable side of our life together. 
How did Paul and Peter baptize thousands so carelessly or so graciously without attention to who is qualified? Did they, did they check people's legal status? I hate being used by those circumventing the law or by the government wanting me to draw distinctions in God's kingdom that in God's kingdom simply do not exist. Baptism is not a political event. Grace is sin fronteras, is without borders. Baptism, the word derives from the Greek word baptismos, meaning to wash or immerse. Baptism signifies the sacramental washing by which the soul is cleansed as the body feels the water. The sacrament signifies regeneration, illumination, new birth. Baptism also has a metaphorical use. It describes an initiation into a particular role, typically one perceived as difficult. An ordeal that tests courage and strength for the first time is a baptism. The experience with Leticia constituted my initiation into the ambiguities of ministry along the border. The baptism that did take place that day was my own. What experiences have you had that have lingered with you? What, uh, what things are so complex that they tug at your heart? In, you, they, they pull your heart in two or three different directions at once, almost contradicting ways. What is the, are the experiences that have pierced your heart? <clears throat> 